Welcome to What Do You Think I'm Al? And I'm C. And uh, after so many weeks of John Wick's superheroes. Of Marvels and all the kinds and such. So much of, of boxing. So much, so much like serious. Well, actually, Marvel's not serious. So much <laughs> Korean drama. Yeah, yeah. Dolls, cybernetic dolls attacks. Although we never actually reviewed that one for various reasons. Anyways, <laughs> after so much uh, stuff, which on a side note, apparently the unrated version of that movie is legit insane and on Peacock. Yes. Um, so basically what we're getting at, folks, is that after, what, what was our last fantasy? Uh, <laughs> was it, was it the Northman? I almost joked. Yeah, it, it might be the Northman. <laughs> It it's the, the Northman because of that spirit uh, skeleton thing that looked like it was taken from Skyrim in a good way. Yeah, in a great way. Um, great way. Yeah, yeah no, might, it, that might be it. It's been a while since we've reviewed a fantasy. And here we they're have- They're few and far between, folks. Let's be honest. There we are few and far between. And they're expensive. They are expensive. And this one comes from Paramount. Mm -hmm. And it is the second attempt- to uh make 23 years later to make a film adaptation of the most popular role-playing tabletop game of all time yes dungeons and dragons the legend and let's let's be clear the impact that dungeons and dragons has had over the culture over american culture and well actually out Dungeons and Dragons is responsible for Stranger Things, guys. It is fun fact, which also I'm convinced that Stranger Things is the reason this they decided to make this movie because it got it, it, the resurgence happened. Basically, I um, I was actually going to say it was the fact that uh, Paramount has a has a relationship with Hasbro and Hasbro brought bought out uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I know that, but what I'm saying is that once. I think because of Stranger Things, you did see an uptick in sales with Dungeons and Dragons. So then they're like, oh, let's do this. Let's actually try to make this happen. Yeah, we we fucked up 23 years ago. Uh, and I have that on VHS at my my parents' house. Bullshit, really? You want to know why? Why? So when I was a kid- Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't tell me. You have a crush on Marlon Wayans. I mean, who doesn't? But outside of- And that's, think about that. Marlon Wayans is in that movie. Isn't that Dude. weird? the oh and the, um um oh my god um there's a real the villain is uh um, jeremy irons jeremy irons is the wow. villain jeremy irons has been in two god-awful adaptations of fantasy franchises uh dungeons and dragons and the aragon that came out in the mid-2000s yeah but he listen what's funny is you look at him and you're like you're still so amazing god damn it yeah, I you can gonna, be in enough bad movies. I was gonna say, like, you look at you look at the poster for the original Dungeons and Dragons, which was I, I think it was, I think it was produced by Warner Brothers or, or New Line Cinema. I can't remember. It's bad. But oh my god, who the fuck was like, you know who needs to be our lead? Justin Whalen. Hey, they decided why not? Let's go with it. But the reason why I have the VHS tape um, is because. So the movie came out and I ended up missing it in theaters, but I was very curious about it because I knew about the game as a kid. I never played it. At the, I hadn't played it at the time. And then I see like one commercial for it and I'm like, you know, I'm a child. So I'm like, that looks amazing. It's got dragons. I want to see it. But because fun fact, folks, it bombed because it bombed. It was out of theaters so fast. I made my dad get it. And it was, for some reason, it was available to buy before it was to rent. I guess it was that bad. They wanted to see who would buy this fucking thing. So I made my dad get it. And I watched it actually a few times. Because as a kid, I enjoyed it. And then I think once you add, once I became a teenager, I watched it one more time and I stopped halfway through. I think to this day, that VHS tape is halfway through. I didn't even rewind it. <laughs> now, yes. it's so, I think to this day, it's still there. Now, I... Granted, there have been many yard sales since I've moved out. And uh, yeah, point is that old movie sucks and the, nothing about it. I watched a clip actually before I went to see this movie and it's it, it has not aged well. Like I it's mean, aged it's aged worse than Lost in Space. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not. And it's it's technically more recent than Lost in Space. I, I mean, that, that that movie destroyed uh, Thora Birch's and Justin Whalen's careers. 
a, like that was like Justin Whalen's like big coming out to be a, a, a A-lister in Hollywood. And he basically has been doing straight to DVD stuff since. And mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the last thing I've seen Thora Birch in, honestly. Um, for those that don't know, Thora Birch played the daughter in American Beauty. And oh, uh, her, right. her parents were her agents and convinced her that doing the Dungeons and Dragons would have been a good career move. But anyway, let's talk about this Dungeons and Dragons just to get a bit of a, a of a head start. So mm-hmm. um, there have been attempts since actually since, uh, since 2010, right? Yeah. When Warner Brothers, when Warner Brothers decided to go all whole hog on The Hobbit, uh, they were like, oh, you know, what if we give Dungeons and Dragons another try and give it to a filmmaker who, you know, uh, will will make it into kind of this fantasy epic that we're looking for. Uh, so there were attempts to do that. Um, and but nothing really got off the ground. You know, The Hobbit ended up being something that just took up so much of Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema's resources. And then, you know, superheroes really became a big deal. So Warner Brothers was kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's there. We'll do something about it. Um, but then Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast, who owns Dungeons and Dragons. And with that, with that sale, mm-hmm. uh, that immediately meant that any Dungeons and Dragons IP wouldn't be done at Warner Brothers, but would be done at Paramount. So once Paramount became the new studio that owned the IP to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Paramount and Hasbro wasted no time in trying to create their own like fantasy franchise with the Dungeons and Dragons IP. Uh, I believe they originally hired uh, Rob Letterman, who most people would know as the director of Detective Pikachu and the first uh, Goosebumps movie to try to make something out of it. Um, then they hired, then he kind of left and then they hired, um, oh God, who did they hire after? Uh, Rob Letterman. Um, I believe I, I was it Lord and Miller. It might have been Lord and Miller. No, um, um, it wasn't Lord and Miller. It was it was the guy who works with Lord and Miller. Chris. Oh, McKay. and they they offered it to the guy that did. Remember that movie Dope that did poorly in theaters, but then like did crazy good. Yeah, on yeah, Netflix. yeah. They he they offered it to him too and he just admitted i think he admitted he had he had no concept of the source material so yeah that was that. uh and then they gave it to chris mckay who most people would know as the director of lego batman uh the tomorrow war and the upcoming renfield uh yes. but he couldn't really crack the code either and uh in fact he because he couldn't crack the code that's why he went to direct the tomorrow war with chris pratt mm-hmm. um and then uh they got uh, this writing directing duo, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who most people would know for the not so good reboot of National Lampoon's Vacation as their mm-hmm. directorial debut, but really well known for their sophomore effort, Game Night, which you and I saw. And which was amazing. I think it made our top 10 of 2018, didn't it? It made my top 15. I or you know what? No, it did. It did. It did make my top 10. It was like my, yes, it did. And um, I don't think it's as good as Game Night, but they also wrote, uh, they wrote the the first uh, Horrible Bosses, which which was like their first big project. And mm. I absolutely loved. And uh, they wrote the, uh, the shooting script draft of Spider-Man Homecoming. That's right. Uh, so That's so they have doing good things. Yeah. So they've had, they've, and, I and right before Dungeons and Dragons, they were going to write and direct uh, the Flash movie for Warner Brothers uh, before they dropped out of the project. Fun fact: that movie was also passed to many of the directors that were also given the potential D and D movie. Yeah, they dropped out of they dropped out of the Flash to do Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, yeah, uh, once the first trailer released, uh, it was pretty obvious. I mean. Well, actually, let me let me go a little earlier. Uh, they sign on to do this. Uh, well, then we hear that we have Michelle Rodriguez, Chris Pine, Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, and we're like, okay, that that sounds like a good, good, uh, good cast of a merry band of adventurers. That sounds like mm-hmm. a good mix. 
And then we heard, oh, uh, Hugh Grant's going to be in this. It's going to be more of a comedic take of of a Dungeons and Dragons uh, gaming session. And then uh, to round out the cast, the breakout star of Bridgerton, uh, Ray Jean Page, had signed on to to take a role in this. That's right. And, and you know, we this turns like, out he's a big fan of D and D. Yeah. So when the cast got when the cast got rounded out, and we the the first logline came out that it was going to be more of a it was going to be more of a of a of a not a lighthearted adventure, but it wasn't going to be like Lord of the Rings level serious. It was going to be, be more Guardians of the Galaxy, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of was the the vibe that that the filmmakers were giving out there that this is going to be fun. This is going to be less a sword and sorcery fantasy and more an adaptation of those fun and hilarious D and D nights you have with your circle of friends. Yes. And that intrigued me. That yeah. intrigued me. Cause I was like, if done well, this, this will be a fun time at the movie theaters. If done not well, it'll be cringy as shit. If cring- not done well. cringy as shit and make Marvel look like smart comedians, which would be, that would have really, that would have, uh, yeah. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. So yeah. And here we are. So see how's about we watch yes. the trailer and then we give we, we we give our review. That sounds great. Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. Then when you do this, you're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told, we helped the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. You need to They give us a fighting chance. We're gonna need strength. You got this, right? I know you don't. We also need courage, magic, and you. What is that again? It's an owl bear. Let's go. Be warned. There is evil here. I'm glad he's on our side. This one's dangerous. But whatever happens. We'll be ready. exactly that you bring to this i'm a planner i make plans you've already made the plan so if the existing plan fails i make a new plan so you make plans that fail no he also plays the loot not relevant (laughs) that's a great trailer can't even lie i love me some good led zeppelin and that is so fitting for what they were trying to do you know i i gotta be honest with you uh when i saw this trailer I was a little worried because I thought, oh God, there it's very quippy. Is this gonna be a very quippy movie? Uh I was already quipped out with Marvel. I didn't need more of this. They you got quipped up. Yeah, I got quipped up. And honestly, I gotta say, you know, especially after the, you know, for those who who who've who've just listened to our John Wick review, like that's it's an amazing movie, but it's an exhausting movie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. At the end of it, you're like, oh my God, I feel like I went through a workout. This was a lot of breezy fun. I had a lot of fun with this. And it was I a perfect, completely agree. It was the perfect palate cleanser after seeing John Wick chapter four. In fact, I think it's- it, This it was, was perfect, the perfect, this is a perfect palate cleanser for everything we've watched so far. 
yes yes it either it was something that didn't take itself seriously but also was well made it didn't take itself seriously see but it was also knew when to be sincere and grounded at the right moments Mm -hmm. um folks and i think i I can pretty much sense what c thinks about this movie because and i think he and i are in agreement what -hmm. makes dungeons and dragons honor among thieves such a fun time at the movies is that yes it does lean onto the comedy. I, I would say I wouldn't say it's a full-on comedy, but it does have its comedic moments. Mm-hmm. But it kind of takes from the from the uh, the it kind of takes from the blueprints of the earlier Marvel movies, where yeah, we'll we'll have jokes, but during serious moments, we're gonna let those dramatic moments breathe and play out and you know have closure so that you get for a more full experience and i i gotta say i, I gotta you know, say. i'm so sorry this filled what shazam 2 is missing for me yeah 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 this you know when again when i heard the pitch that oh uh the directors the writer directors they kind of they kind of want to they kind of want to make a movie of like the the dungeons and dragons uh, the Dungeons and Dragons experience you would have with your friends. I was like, oh, you know, because see, do you watch any Dungeons and Dragons campaigns on YouTube? Actually, I'm really glad you bring that up. I have been watching the D&D campaigns recently uh, that College Humor hosts called Dimension 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually really glad I watched those because, or watched that that I've been watching one of the campaigns because it helped set the stage for me for what this movie was going to be like. Um, And we'll get into that a little bit because there is not to, not to, not to not have a fun time, but there is a slight criticism I have about this movie. But if you understand how D and D works when you're playing it, you accept it. But I'm glad I want, I've been watching a D and D campaign to prep myself because it it just helped me appreciate this so much more. Yeah. So um again, turns out D D campaign YouTube is a big, big segment of YouTube. Like oh, I was, it's I, was huge. I was actually shocked. But a it's lot- actually eaten up some of the uh some of the video game audience a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll be honest, uh, a lot of them are very funny, but they always kind of lean really into kind of like making these meme-tastic viral moments. They're also incredible. Each episode is incredibly long. Yeah, like, yeah. We're talking minimum. You will see one. The, the shortest one I saw was an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Shortest. Yeah. And it will, a regular campaign, a regular session is usually like, what, three hours? Two, three hours. Two or three hours. But But my point is, is that like I, I watch them and they're fun, but it's always like, yeah, th- these guys are kind of leaning into finding a way to make the audience laugh. Mm-hmm. And maybe for a YouTube video, that's fine. For a three hour YouTube long YouTube video, that's fine. That you'll have in the background while working on something, but making a whole movie, just kind of that vibe of like, of like, how, how can we make this? How can we make like a, a joke out of this scene or, 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 or do something crazy and out there to go viral? I was like, I, I don't know if that's something I would like to watch in a movie, but what the writer directors actually do here is that they create these character archetypes that fulfill a role that you would see in a traditional D and D campaign in a traditional D and D session. And they just flesh them out as as grounded as characters as they can be. Now, not all of the party members are super fleshed out, but I will say they're all at least given something to give them some, to not just be like party member A, party member B. Though the two that get the most development are actually Chris Pines and and Michelle Rodriguez's character. And By a given, lot, yeah, and they're given such good character development that I I was I was really impressed. I was I was really impressed. Like. I liked game night and I, I liked, and I, that's not true. I did not like vacation. I liked game. night. No one I, did. Yeah. I liked game night, but honestly, outside of, outside of Jesse Plemons's character, uh, everyone else gets very, very little character development. Cause it's not about the characters. It's about this crazy night that they're all going through. Right. And that's fine. 
But I was just shocked that these guys, I was like, wow, Chris Pine's character is really fleshed out in a very interesting way. And yes, he's charming. Yes, he's funny. Yes, he kind of gets himself into trouble and has to talk his way out of it. He's a he's a roguish, charming man. But that's also what made Chris Pine literally the perfect casting for this, because that's who he is. That's what he's really good at playing. He is inherently charming like just as in general but but he's also a guy who has regrets and a grieving widower and Mm -hmm. i gotta say like having those flourishes in a movie like this where they could have just coasted off of like all right we're gonna try to make a a a funny DD campaign into a movie and really not develop our characters like maybe have a have a joke about have a joke about halflings here have a joke about how barbarians are stupid there. Have a joke about how magic is such a magic kind of always fixes everything in a D&D D session there. Mm-hmm. Like cheap jokes. They don't do that. The jokes are actually, most of the jokes are actually very character based and or or like plot driven. And I, I appreciated that. So uh, see, I've said, I've said a lot about my initial thoughts. How about you? So this I've said this a lot on the podcast and I've said this a lot to you and other friends. And I think sometimes it makes my friend's eyes roll when I say this, but man, I love, I fucking love when movies know what they are. I really do. It. I, I'm not, a, and let me be clear. I'm not saying for a movie to be self-aware or to wink at the audience. That's not what I'm saying, but when a movie, especially when movies have a, a base original source material that they have to work off of, instead of trying to make what they want it to be, they really looked at how the fans interact with this and ha- and what has kept Dungeons and Dragons going for so many years. And even though it's a fantasy game, it's the human element that kept this game alive. Because guess what? There are a lot of other tabletop games that have not cut the mustard, that have not survived. Hell, I've played one, I've played a few over my life, and one that hasn't survived is a game called Mage Knights. Yes, it technically still exists, and its mechanic still exists, but it wasn't the same because it didn't allow for as much freedom that this did it didn't it didn't allow the fans the people who enjoy it to have a lot of control or say over this so i really appreciate that this movie which i didn't think a movie like this would be able to do it genuinely understood and figured that out and quite literally found actors that understood that at the end of the day whether and yes some of these aren't some of these characters aren't fully human but they knew they had to be real people operating in this truly insane world. Can I, can I just say, I, I'm going to say this outright. The the VIP for this movie is Michelle Rodriguez. I, I think this is her most well-rounded role that I've seen her in, in quite possibly years. Like uh, I think, she, uh, and you know, what's t- the thing too is you can tell she loved this role. Like she, you can tell she really cares about this role because the way, the way she, and they give her such an incredible backstory and such an interesting one. That's kind of funny, but also honest. And also it's a backstory. That's very much of the D and D world. You're not going to see. Okay. In some ways. Yes. But they made it so specific in a way that, it really ground, not grounded you. It, it it further applied that character to the universe of this movie. I, I I gotta say that what makes it work so well is just the simple fact that like she doesn't need to go on a grand monologue to get her her feelings across. Like you know what the character of Holga is feeling or how she sees the situation just by like the way she raises her eyebrows, her body language the few words she does use because you know barbarians have this stereotype of being very very like stoic and to the point and you know that that can be very like that can be very limiting over what you can do in a performance 
but she just actually makes it work to her advantage. Like, and I, I really appreciate that. Cause I'm like, Oh, you gotta be stoic. Oh, you kind of gotta be the, the noble barbarian woman. And still she was one of the funnest characters I've seen all year. And, and I, I had to also add the fact that she was, pl- okay, this is a slight spoiler, but not really this character, the barbarian, she's not a bright character. And she was willing, the fact that she was willing to play that and also play it sincerely, but honestly, because it wasn't like, like, like she's not a, she's not an idiot, but she knows she's not the brightest bulb in the room. She's aware. But what she does is instead, the difference with this character was instead of just being an idiot, she knew when she didn't know something and just accepted it and then just exuded her abilities and her strength. That's Which was really, really refreshing. interesting. That's really and it refreshing. Was, it was. And I'm like, I like that. Because like, there's a moment when she's talking with, um, oh my God, the one who, what was the actor's, the, the actor from Bridgerton. And she just like acknowledges that she has no idea what the hell he's talking about. And he's just like, well, it's just, it's that scene in like the library where she just knows, I don't know what you're saying, but couldn't give less of a shit and then actually solves the problem in that moment, which is kind of really funny. and was really refreshing. I, like you said, it was really refreshing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, it was any, anything else you want to add? Um, well, we'll get, well, or, or you want me to give kind of the stuff I like and then we can get into yeah, some critiques. Yeah, give the stuff have. you like and then, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've said enough about Michelle Rodriguez. You said enough about how this movie knows what it what it is. Yeah. I want to add that I applaud this movie for, you know, knowing that being fun doesn't mean that you got to push every joke that goes through your head mm-hmm. like every five seconds like Marvel's been doing recently. And why am I harping on this point? Because once upon a time, Marvel (laughs) knew that what makes a joke work was knowing when, when to be grounded and when was the ultimate moment to tell a joke or to make something funny so that you could get the biggest laugh out of the audience as possible. Somewhere down the line, I would say probably after, probably after Guardians of Galaxy Volume 2, Mm-hmm. Marvel decided, you know what? We need a joke every 10 seconds. We don't give a fuck. And that just gets rid of any feeling of stakes within their movies. What Dungeons and Dragons does so well, and I think this has a lot to do with the fact that John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein both worked on a ton of sitcoms on different sides of the of the of the camera. John Francis Daly obviously was an actor who was probably most famously known for being one of the geeks and freaks and geeks. Uh, Jonathan Goldstein, I believe was like one of the main writers of the, of the Gina Davis show, which was a sitcom that was, you know, and then he kind of worked on other sitcoms after that. Like they know that in their careers, that it's not about how many jokes you tell. It's about where's the best place to put a joke. And honestly, throughout all of Dungeons and Dragons, there was never a joke where I was like, oh, that's too excessive or, oh, that's in the wrong spot. Every time this movie decides to be funny, it's funny in the best and most optimal spot possible. Example, in most Marvel movies, I guess it's a law now that in Marvel, that if you have a moment of of dramatic introspection, you got to punctuate it with a very cringy joke. <laughs> and somewhere in the third act of this movie, or maybe at the end of the second act, a character, one of our characters, has a moment of introspection where they pretty much admit admit that they were selfish. And it's a very serious moment. And the performer who's doing the monologue is doing a hell of a job. And because I've been burned so many times, I kept waiting for like, okay, when this ends, there's going to be a very cringy joke at the end because that's just how Marvel has my my brain already. And it never happened. What happened was, was that a moment of danger appeared. And when that happened, I was like, holy shit. This movie knows that it undermines its dramatic moments if it tries to punctuate everything with a joke. 
wow. And it, I, it hit me that that's what this movie has been doing this whole time. But not just that, that this movie's not cynical. I mean, in a way, it's a little cynical. But when there's a very sincere moment of heroism or of, of like, you know, or of like honor and stuff like that, this movie respects it. This movie goes like, no, this is an honorable moment. We're going to respect it. We're not going to poke fun at it. We're not going to have a character go like, oh, they're just doing that because they have a cool sword. You know, none of that shit. Like this has moments that would be ripped out of uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, but this movie never plays it off as like, don't you see how stupid this is? And I really, really respect the movie for doing that. I really, really do. And I give give credit to John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein that they knew that the best way to satisfy an audience is to not just give them a whole uh, give just give them a comedy or just a bunch of jokes to laugh at, but to you know, um, to 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 kind of thread this line of like these different genres, these different types of of vibes you can feel in a movie and it just gives her a more, more really well-rounded experience. And that, that's something I applaud for this movie so much. Mm-hmm. Um, some critiques I have, in fact, my biggest critique and see, you might have this big critique too, mm-hmm. is that, you know, this is an adaptation of a tabletop game that they really go whole hog into making you feel like you're experiencing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and for those that haven't played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, most of these sessions involve you going to one spot, realizing, oh, I'm going to need this thing. And then your dungeon master makes you go to another spot. And when you're at that spot, you're like, oh, I got to get this other thing. And that's a session. It's just going to different places in the game. Getting a to, thing. To get a thing. Yeah. And that's what this movie is. <laughs> this movie is literally... Chris Pratt and company, or not Chris Pratt, Chris Chris Pine and company going from one location to another and realizing they need this new MacGuffin. And they just, basically they just keep making stops and detours. Uh, And by the end, they get all the MacGuffins and and then they have to fight the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's just not that compelling. I don't know. What do you think, C? So that's, that was, so yeah. You were you're you're pretty close to what I was saying. Is that, and I think in the end, this movie had to make a choice, and it 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 went with the best choice, but in doing so, if you do not play D anD D or are really not familiar with it, there are certain things that are going to seem frustrating. One, the MacGuffin hunting, as you have said which is how a D&D campaign works. You're going around getting the thing, going around getting one thing. Although now D&D dungeon master or dungeon masters have learned have figured out ways around that, but only very recently. And even then, it's still maybe a it's still maybe a, a you're trying to achieve a goal. It's just less it's more of an emotional goal maybe or something like that. Um the other factor is if you haven't played a D&D game or watched a D&D video online, the pacing is going to seem really jarring. Really jarring. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you're not familiar, and I realized that, the moment I realized that is when this movie does something that we are actively forgiving because we know it's based on a D&D game. And that is, um, let's just call it location hopping. Because my God, they go from a forest to mountains to a village to a volcano to here to a city to back to the ocean to this to an ice place. It's like it's a lot. And if you're familiar with D and D, you 100% accept this because that's a new that's a new round of D and D. That the part of the purpose is that you're going to a completely different place. And in a, in a major way, that's an amazing part about this movie because you're getting to see all these new cool places, these new dungeons, these new maps, so to speak. But if you are not familiar with D&D, you are going to be, it is going to be borderline nauseating with the, oh, the places you'll go. You know, it, it's, I think what, what makes it so hard to accept that is that in fantasy films, because even though this is an adaptation of a 
of a game of a tabletop mm-hmm. game like when we see fantasy we expect to have like these journey montages which we get some but if, we if get want, journey shots yeah you get clear. journey shots you never there's there's only like one like fireside chat scene in this movie mm-hmm. when or maybe two when one and a half when when in like something in lord of the rings those made up a pretty sizable chunk of the movie that was and, a third of it each. yeah and, and and you feel the length of the journey like that was the point and these characters are going just as far and it never feels like they were went they went more than 15 miles on the outskirts of the main city when we know that's not true when we know they there's like a big mountain range they're in and then they're they're in they literally reach the edge of the ocean but they never it never felt to me that they were like more than 15 miles away from the city Mm -hmm. and that if you are not familiar with D&D you can't you can't enjoy that you you can't like that like there's no way you would um the only other factor i'll say the only other critique because that was the big one but um this if you any character that's not a part of the group is a prop and that's fine that's perfectly fine for plenty of movies but there's one character where it, it it's really a little weird and this is a bit of a spoiler, but okay. Spoiler alert right now. Chris Pine's character has a daughter and I get that you always have the daughter character as a prop. It is, this movie is not even pretending to not do that. Let's be clear. It is saying, no, this character is a prop that we place here and do this with the actress is great. She does. She does what's asked her of her. Of course, and she gets to have a little fun moment here and there, but that is what this character is, and this movie doesn't even try to say anything else about it. Um, to to kind of extend yeah. on that thought, see, I would say the bad guys are props. They're not like the bad guy is a wizard who is so obviously telegraphed evil. Yeah, and there's that, no question. That, it's like, yeah, oh and my that's, god, that's all the wizard is—is is evil. It's like, like you're Saruman on crack. Like not, Jesus, not even that. It's like they're 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 just they're just a bad. It's like it's like a very. They were just written to be evil, to be creepy, and and even, yeah. and, and to do and to do a big uh to to do a big like like a, a giant sacrifice type scene. And that's the other thing, the way they, they get at the way they save the day, though fun, if you're not into D and D it's going to be like, come on, really? That saves them. Like basically in the bit with the arena where everything's about to go down. And then it's like, okay, th- this may be a little bit of a spoiler. It's like, oh, so they can just leave like that. That's something they can do that. That's all they need. Really? Like that, that kind of, if you're not into D and D that can kind of throw you off too. It's like that ended that, like because you know, and, and, and I know exactly out of the range of the spell, it makes sense. I was talking but, to a friend of mine, and they said that played out as if someone in a in if this was a D and D campaign, if this was a D and D session, someone rolled rolled a dice to be like everyone can everyone leaves, we get everyone to leave, and they rolled a high enough number to go do it, and the DM was like motherfucker you. You totally ruined what I was trying to do. A nat and, twenty, basically. They rolled a yeah. nat twenty, and which is like the best thing you can get. And they had to do it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That that's how that played off. Because my friend was telling me who, who plays D and D, they were like, "Oh, that totally came off as like that type of scenario, which always happens. Like it seems to happen in every D and D session that goes mm-hmm. on when you're about to face the big bad." And I'm like, "Okay, I get it. I." I understand it. And I know that's very inside baseball for D and D. My problem is, is that like, just like as a movie plot that just comes off as very, uh, 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 what's the word I want to say comes off as very contrived. Right. But in the moment I thought like, especially how they play it off. I thought it was, I thought it was funny and I thought it was clever but when I thought about it, I was like, oh, that's really contrived. But oh, because someone probably rolled a Nat Tony and that's what happened. It was yeah. the it was the, it was the wizard uh band lead, it was the wizard uh 
member of, of the squad that rolled a nat 20 and they're like, holy shit, that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah. that. Um, something I want to add, uh, it's not so much as a critique as it is a an observation for some people is that if you're coming in here expecting Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, if you're expecting like your traditional sword and sorcery epic Excalibur, scene, hell, the yeah, Green Knight even. Yeah, if you're expecting that, that's not this movie. This movie has some awesome scenes of wizards. Actually, I would say this film has the most creative use of wizard duels that I've seen in a while. Like, mm-hmm. like stuff that I was like, Wizarding World of Harry Potter would would do good to take notes because this is interesting. Like mm-hmm. it literally, I was like, oh, this is how like a match of like uh, Magic the Gathering would play out. Like, well, you know why is because they've had you have years of research with different D and D campaigns to create that perfect kind of battle. Yeah, and and so that's really interesting. But there there is no like armies facing each other. There is no like, well, there is no traditional knight in shining armor versus the dragon. There is a dragon, yeah. but there's a Who's, twist. I, look, I looked it up. That So they, because D&D has its own universe and they set it up as much in that universe as possible. That dragon is a very famous character in D&D apparently. Yeah. Oh, and for D&D folks. So there's like three main universes that you could do a D&D campaign in. Dragonlance, Greyhawk, and Forgotten Realms. This is Forgotten Realms for those that are like, oh, I want to see Greyhawk or Dragonlance. No, this is Guess Forgotten what? They'll Realms. Do, they'll do one. They'll they're gonna do one each if this does well. Oh, that that that'd be nice. That'd be that's actually a really great idea. See, but yeah. Um. Yeah. So so yeah, there is a dragon in here, but it it's executed in a very unique way. That for those who are, I liked pure, it. I liked it too. I loved it. But for those purists, they'd probably be like. You're going to be oh. pissed if you're a purist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because again, yes, this is fantasy. Yes, this is sword and sorcery. But it's based off a game where, where you know, things just play out a little different in D&D. At least now, modern D&D than they would have like in, in a Tolkien book. Um, yeah. so, so if you're someone who's like, oh, I love Lord of the Rings. This is going to be kind of like that, but with some jokes. Like, no, no, it's not going to scratch that itch. It's not high fantasy. Well, technically it's high fantasy, but you it's know high I mean. fantasy. Listen, it's high fantasy. It's the high fantasy characters going to grab a beer. That's what it is. Oh, that's such a great way to put it. See, that's such a great way to put it. So yeah, if you're expecting like for this to scratch your Lord of the Rings, your Game of Thrones itch, it's not going to. And nor should it, because this movie was trying to do something different and I think it succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um it's just, you know, sometimes people go in expecting something and when they don't get it, they're they're disappointed. So just putting that out there. Uh, any other thoughts you have, C, about any of the characters, anything? Um, I, can I say this on a hope? I hope this starts a new franchise that can butt its way through the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff. Like, I, if this is what does it, even if the sequels aren't perfect like i'm i would like to see a fantasy uh uh you know series that or not series um you know uh yeah fantasy series of movies that that does well like that breaks up the monotony like that i'm okay with that like this is a game that really has meant a lot to a lot of people like there are like not to get all sappy here but there are people that have credited Dungeons and Dragons with saving marriages, with like bonding families after certain things that have happened, anything bad that has happened. Like, dude, the power of this imagination. Game, power of imagination, but the power that this game, the simple tools that this game has provided has really helped a lot of people. And I find it so fitting that the people behind Game Night then did an adaptation of what some people call the ultimate game. Not all but some and that the fact that they pulled it off really is a relief also on a side note it gives me hope for the potential of the magic the gathering movie which has been in the works and talks for years last i heard netflix was gonna do it but we haven't heard a lot lately but seeing this work in its own way and no it's not perfect but seeing it work 
gives me hope for franchises. That's the word I was looking for. I want to see new franchises. I want to see fran- more franchises compete with one another and fight for the top, but in a fun way. And this gives me hope for that. It really does. Speaking of game night. So I'm not going to go. Oh, and a sequel for- to game night would be great, but <laughs> you never know. Okay. Speaking of game night. Um, so, uh, 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 John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Th- one of the highlights of Game Night was this extended single take scene. Uh, they do something even more ambitious here, and I gotta say, it was a ton of fun. Like it was such. I mean, it, it's not anything groundbreaking. Like Alfonso Cuaron has done crazier shit, but <laughs> seeing the, seeing something like this done and just how clever it was. Like I was like, wow, these like I'm I'm actually now thinking like, oh, were we robbed of like an amazing single shot take of a of a flash set piece when they were originally going to direct it? Probably, um, but you know, it, okay. it was it was a lot of fun. And when you see it, you're going to be like, wow, this is really well done. And yeah. just going to say that the actors involved in that sequence, like 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 they perform it so well, and then to top it all off. There's a really, really good callback to an earlier joke that just works so well and doesn't overstay its welcome. Not at all. I was like, I, like, like when the character said, oh, so that did happen. Like everyone <laughs> in my theater laughed and clapped a little bit. And that was it. Never got brought up again. Nope. Didn't try to go for a second, a second encore. It was great. Nope. It was great. Um, And just wanted to say that, you know, it seems to me that uh Hugh Grant has found new life as playing a villain of sorts. He was the villain well, in Paddington 2. Turns out he's great at it. Like who would have yeah, thought? Yeah, turns out he he could have he could have been one of our all great character actors who plays villains, but he just had to have leading man good looks. Oh, well, and God. also well you, let, let, let me be clear he not only did he just have to he did for many years like goddamn but also guess what he's been open about he actually admitted this on graham norton he would accept leading roles for movies he wasn't as into because the money was just that good because there was a time when he everyone loved him and people still enjoy him of course you know um one one other thing and then we can give our 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 final thoughts final thoughts uh justice smith so I'm not going to sit here and say that I hate Justin Smith. I just got to say that he's, it's been unfortunate that since his career, he's kind of always been given kind of the, the, the cowardly nerd role since Mm -hmm. I saw him pop up in a Jurassic world fallen kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, He, and it's very obvious that in this, as well as in detective Pikachu, he just works so much better as playing like the exasperated straight man versus just kind of this just loser that he plays in a lot of his other roles. Yeah. Like I really liked him in this and just shout out. He's not British. He's American. His British accent was so good. Hugh Grant was like, Oh, uh, what part of London are you from? And just, did he really Smith- say that? Yeah. Hugh Grant thought justice Smith was from, was from England. And justice Smith goes like, no, actually I'm American. And he just goes like, why are you talking with it? What you're the only one talking with an accent? It's like because I'm a I'm a sorcerer, you know. So hey, I I want I want to see him more in in roles that aren't just him being just this annoying loser because yeah. it's because he's good when he's allowed to be. Yeah, yeah, and I just I just really feel like because everyone sees him, he's like, oh, he's he looks like this nerdy guy. He's got to be a nerdy guy. Um, so I, I really appreciate because you know. When I when I saw that he was in this movie, I was like, "Oh God, he's the sorcerer. He's going to be like the nerd loser of the group that nobody likes." And he ended up being kind of one of the more reasonable ones. And as a character arc, that's you know, it's not the most interesting thing in the world. But by the end, you're very happy with where he ends up. Uh, yeah. Sophia Lillis, you know, I gotta say she's kind of the least developed of the main party members, but she's given so much to do physically. And you know she she's got me- the coolest shot in the movie. For yeah, the record. yeah, she does like, have the coolest shot in the movie. And I'm glad she got that. I'm like, damn, that's cool. Yeah, and and you know, but she's not bad. 
It's just I, yeah. I'm not gonna sit here and say like, oh, her character was so interesting. No, there's not giving. There's not really enough, a lot for her to do, but you know, she's there and she fulfills a role, and she, her role is very physical. And she's in a lot of set pieces where I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. And, and that's something else. One other thing, the set pieces here. So again, there's not your traditional sword and sorcery set pieces, but it's kind of more leaning on the heist type of deal. And there's something involving a mirror and a, and a carriage. Yes. That I was like, oh, this is so well done. And I really, really like this. And oh my God, see, I totally forgot to mention one of the shining jewels of this movie. Mm. Can you guess what it is? What? The the puppeteering. The animatronics. Oh, oh we okay, yeah, I was okay. The amount of practical effects, though not constant, was I'd say made up half of this movie. This movie and has so great. many practical effects that at the end I stood up and I applauded for like the effects houses, the production houses that did these effects. Like yeah. this movie did not have to, cause you know, I mean, people will say like, well, we're advanced enough that we can do, we can do CGI animal people. Right. Yeah. But no, they chose to do puppets and animatronics and it's so refreshing and it's so well done. And you can tell the actors, you, here's the thing. They did that because they knew the actors would want to give a better performance. If they can see and interact with a thing that seems real to them. And they yeah. gave off a better performance because of it. That they can touch. That they can yeah. touch and interact with. And honestly, like, that is... I, I, I apologize, audience members. This should have been one of the first things we talked about was... Well, I picked up on it when, A, the opening scene, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a nice that they did that for one thing. But then when they did it for, like, that scene in the little village with the giant fish and the cat people, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's an animatronic. And, yeah, and they even do it for in like the the third act climax. Like you see, you see, you see a CGI creation, and you're like, okay, this is going to be a fight with a CGI thing. But every close up was an animatronic. Yeah, I was like, wow, I, I, you don't see that anymore. And I, I was so happy because again, you like, it really does feel like the actors are interacting with something that they know what to react to, and it just makes the world feel more real. Kind of to add to that as well, like Marvel has fallen into, and I'm sorry that we're using Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves to shit on Marvel, but <laughs> Marvel to me, one of their Someone biggest had to. one of their biggest cardinal sins is just that they they decide that you know what, we're just going to green screen this entire room and CGI windows, CGI computers. Like they don't even shoot on like sets anymore. They shoot on green screen sets. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, like they create, if it's not a practical set, it's lo it's on location. And then the one location that it would have made sense for it to be mostly CGI, they still go out of their way that anything the actors interact with is like a physical manifestation of a set. Mm -hmm. And like, or a model. Like they get a MacGuffin that comes out of like a very elaborate lockbox. Like in Mar in a Marvel movie, that lockbox would have been all CGI. And then they pulled out the MacGuffin. In this movie, it's a physical thing that whirls and opens doors and the actor puts his hands in and takes out the MacGuffin. That, it's a little thing. It's a little thing. But that means so much to me because they know like this should be real because we want the actors to be able to perform as best as possible. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, I, I, the practical effects, the the actual physical stages, sets and locations that that just th this raises the quality. This raises the level of the movie up in my eyes, because, again, you just don't see it anymore with uh, with other big like budgeted blockbusters. Mm -hmm. So uh, see what are your final thoughts? Well, I think my final thoughts are going to have to be uh, summed up in my rating, if that's okay. Sure. All righty. This movie rolled a nat 20. And that's what this is. It gave the best possible roll. So just to clear the air, if you roll a nat 20, uh, which is basically rolling the dice and ending up on a 20-sided 20 di 20 die, you get a number 20. 
without any help or booster or, you know, any other assistance in any way, that's the best you can roll you can get. It's even better if you roll something higher, apparently, which I don't quite understand that, but it's it's the best one. So through, through so many unique circumstances and such incredible hard work, it, this movie did the best thing it could possibly do, but it is still a movie simply because I have to acknowledge the fact that it will be alienating even somewhat to people who aren't into D&D or don't know what it is, which there are some people out there where that's the case. So this is a movie that rolled a nat 20. Um, I highly recommend it. If you are a D&D fan, well, first off, if you're a D&D fan and haven't seen it yet, what are you doing? Like, this is, you finally get the D&D movie you wanted. Let's be clear. Um, but I would say if you have any interest in seeing some, some, if you want to see a high fantasy that does something a little different, that is a little fun, go to theaters to see this. And if you miss this in theaters, this is the perfect movie to catch on streaming. I think this is, I actually think this movie is going to do really, really, really well on streaming, but we'll see. But okay. that's my final thought. It's a it's a movie that rolled a nat twenty and beat really beat the odds. Okay, so I'm I pretty much agree with C here. I think like while the character arcs are really the the there are like more than enough character arcs to satisfy a viewer who you know cares about character. Um, I have to say again, the plot plays out like your standard D and D session slash campaign. And it literally is just go here for a MacGuffin, take this detour for this MacGuffin, because you're going to need it to get the other MacGuffin. And it, it's not as exciting. And you really, the location hopping does feel really like just blatant. Um, that being said, you know, the little flourishes the directors add here and there, the fact that they stopped themselves from adding a joke here and there. The fact that they did, they created such a perfect cast. Michelle Rodriguez is perfect as Olga. Uh, Chris Prine is perfect as the rogue lead. Uh, Regé Jean Page is great as uh, the Paladin Zank. Uh, Justice Smith is is playing the best type of sorcerer in Simon. And Hugh Grant is a great villain in Forge. Daisy Head, serviceable as the villain, as the heavy, um, but still ultimately like this movie isn't you're going to watch this movie and you're never going to be like oh i was not expecting that trust me there's no twist here that's going to surprise you that being said the filmmaking here is so top notch the 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 directing is so well done the 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 visuals are just top of the line because a a lot of it's practical and they maximize their use of cgi I, I gotta say, this to me is a flush. This to this to me wow. is a this to okay. me is not a not one of my higher flushes. In fact, this is kind of like this is kind of like the very last car made you realize it was a flush, right? Or was it maybe a flush through through a wild card? Yeah, a flush through a wild card. That's a better way to put it. See, um, this I do think you should see this in theaters. Um, it's a great time in theaters. It's and it's not that long. It's um it's no. an hour. Well, actually, it is long. It's two hours and fourteen minutes. Right but into the movie, it does not feel like that. It does not feel that. The pacing is actually quite excellent. I actually was like, that was a great hour and fifty minute movie. And now I go up to IMDb and I'm like, wait, it was two hours and fifteen. Did not feel like it. Actually, yeah, I didn't realize. So you know what? Some of my critiques uh, about the pacing can be mellowed out a little bit. Still with the caveat of if you don't play D&D, you're going to notice. But yeah, there is a lot of inside baseball of D&D here. There's just no escaping that because John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein are obvious D&D uh, fans. Um, that being said, again, uh, I how do I put this? This is definitely a movie you should see in theaters. This isn't a movie that like demands that you have seen it. Well, it's already out, but did not demand you see it on the premiere. Um, And that's totally fine. All you can ask for is a movie that the most you can ask a movie is that it like tells, it makes you say, wow, I should see this in theaters. That's the most you can demand of a movie. And when a movie does that, I I think a movie is successful. And in that Mm -hmm. way, I think Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves is successful. So yeah, 
this has uh this has been our review of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. God, I feel um, good after this movie too. I, I really this was a breath of fresh air in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Cause listen, I love John Wick chapter four, but that was exhausting. We were we all walked out and we're like, oh okay. Like you you can hear in the episode, I was borderline begging for this to end the franchise. <laughs> I was like, yeah. please, no more. I can't and um and you know, Shazam. We don't need to get into Shazam because we said more than enough in our episode. And obviously all all the Marvel stuff has just kind of bored us, honestly. Yeah. This this I was never bored. I no. knew where I knew where the story was going. Sure. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say like wow the story went in crazy directions. No, it didn't. But I I had a I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And I think I think people who go watch this will have a lot of fun. So yeah. Anything else you want to add, C? I I'm relieved this is doing is because it's doing pretty well in box offices, right? Oh yeah. Um I think it was number one. So I'm happy. Like I was saying earlier, I want this to be the disruptor, although that's not a real word, but this to disrupt uh the established franchises. I want this, I want other I just need more of something new. And this really could do that. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited for that yeah. potential. I, and I, Chris Pratt. That's sorry, Chris Pine. Sorry, Chris Pine getting more roles, more leading roles. That's always a good thing. Who is Chris like Pine Chris? the best, Chris? He's. You know what? We're gonna have a whole episode about that. Sure. With Chris, with Chris R. Who's the best, Chris? Who's the he's best, Chris? He's definitely up there because he's the most endearing. He's the most. He's he acts like the most like a real person usually. Um, so yeah, we, we come, we come to find out like when, when we have our, who's the best Chris that we realize like, oh my God, the answer was staring at us the whole time. It's, it's Chris actually, R. no, it's Christopher Lloyd. He's the best Chris. <laughs> no, like no, it's Chris Rock. No, no, it's Chris Tucker. Uh... It's Chris Tucker. <laughs> okay guys on that note this has been what do you think i'm al and i'm c later good night everybody